Triple M's Real Football Show. Where Chris Dittmar, Albie Kidd and Val Migliaccio discuss the biggest issues affecting fans of the round ball. Terrific run and a super finish. The Triple M Real Football Show. Oh, on today's Triple M Real Football Show, we'll chat to former Australia, Football Australia Head of Corporate and Public Affairs, Benita Merciades, and boy, is she going to rattle the cage. Uh, she was a member of the senior management team for the Australian bids for 2018-2022 FIFA World Cups, and she does not pull any punches. And I'll tell you what, there'll be people all over the world keen to listen to what she has to say. Uh, also, we're going to talk to Tony Rallis, uh, an Australian-based player agent, who's got a plan a better plan to try and have our players recognised all over the world. It's going to be a real interesting chat. Um, welcome to everybody. We've got our usual superstars here, Albie Kid, Cotter and Val Miliaccio, the biggest newsbreaker in the world of football. <laughs> when we get to Tony Rallis, I know he's going to talk about this plan about how to get our players recognised. Albie, I want to put this to you first of all. You're a bloke who made it all the way to the top in Scotland. You then end up in leagues here in Australia. You coach at the high, or you have coached at the highest level. If you're good enough... Do you get recognised? I think you do, but there's players that uh, players and coaches that get missed, uh, and I think um, then maybe they weren't good enough. Well, possibly, but uh, you know, I think the word opportunity needs to be uh, explored here. That's because you know, going back to the you know when I come here, going back to the Adelaide City in the West Adelaide days, there was players in the state league, the NPL, that never got a chance to go into the, the national league, and that was through lack of opportunity. Yeah, but if you're that and good, I, if you, you're, you're jumping out of your skin to be recognised, Cotter, I'm going to hit you with the biggest cliche in the world, but when opportunity knocks, you kick the door down. Yeah, you, you make do, people recognise you. Yeah, right. It's really, these days, it's really hard because you see good players, and sometimes you either, the coach like you or the coach doesn't like you. I mean, sometimes it work that... All the players uh, have something else and you don't get the opportunity. And it's it's happening these days. Well, you know? I always think, uh, you might think this is funny to bring up a cricket analogy, but I think cricket's the best game for this because, oh, I didn't get picked. If you make 100 every week, they have to pick you. Same in, same in football, surely. It's the same in every sport. Well, again, to come in there, when you get the opportunity, you know, when you get game time, that's when you've got to produce. And if you produce, players kick on from that. And there's a lot of players that get an opportunity and they play badly and then they go back to the back of the, the list right away. I'll give you a classic example. Fred Aegis, yep. indigenous kid, ended up playing football uh, for Central District Reserve. AFL when, football. When it all went pear-shaped. He had Adelaide United sign him up in the NSL season mm. back mm. in 2003-04. Got discarded was voted by FIFA in the under-17 tournament as one of the most technically gifted players of the entire tournament. This is the World Cup we're talking about. Hmm. Has a crack at North Queensland Fury, then disappears. He he ended up playing State League and then Amateur League for Brahma Lodge. An absolute unbelievable talent that needed to be nurtured. But you've just enhanced my point. He went to Queensland Fury. He got an op. You say, oh, they got to get opportunities. That was his opportunity. If you don't take it when it comes, don't go saying to everyone else, oh, but I missed out and I didn't have opportunities. He wasn't looked after properly in my Yeah, opinion. and that's right. Belv is right. Sometimes, yeah, you get the opportunity, you got to take it, but it takes someone to believe in you, someone to grow with you, and someone... Well, Queensland Fury did. I know, for, I'm not knocking him. We're using him as an example. I know Great him well. Player. Great player. Mm. But you got to say, well, Queensland Fury gave him that opportunity. What did he do with it? Good on them. They folded, by the way. 
Do you know how many millions of people are playing football around the world, Val? You know this more than I do. Therefore, oh, when you get lot. your chance, bloody you to do everything it. right. Well, I think it's the whole package. And like at Adelaide United, I don't think he had the background, the the the, the people around him to actually point him in the direction they wanted to. It was easy to get rid of him. But you, you, when you mentioned the complete package there, you know, looking at uh, players, that's ability is one thing, but you've got to have attitude. You've yep. got to have, you, you've got to put your, you know, your back. But that's you training around actually. players. It is. And, you know, I've coached for a lot of years and, um, you know, hopefully I, you know, mm-hmm. made a couple of good players. Um, and it was just through basic uh, discipline and and need and, and you know, just desire more uh, than anything well, else, right. because because end. hold on, but because the um, the ability of individual players, you know, it, it, that's a natural thing that you're doing there. Mm. The coach teaches you how to play defensively and whatnot, but the opportunities sometimes coaches just leave players out and it destroys players. That's the problem. At the other end of the spectrum. I've seen so many lemons get opportunities and stick around for more than a day. There you go. No, you touched on the politics. (laughs) There you go. There you go. That's right. Now, Cote, I'm really interested in your take on this uh, because you come from South America. We hear stories time and time again of the kids that have nothing, live in places like Brazil and live in the slums and become world stars. How or why does that happen? Desire. Yeah, put it this way. Myself, like um, I'm not from Brazil, but I'm from Chile, and I did not have what we have here. You know, I did not have grass. We, we, we play on the streets and we play on concrete, and you know, and lack of a lot of things, lack of sometimes you know food. And my desire, my hunger, my Mm. my discipline, um, I wanted it. I wanted it so badly that. I achieved what I what I did, and yep. I have so much to achieve. But that it comes, no matter what you have or what you don't have, is the person who, uh, how driven is that player? Mm-hmm. And that's why when I, sometime I talk to athletes, I said, how much do you want it? Mm. Because if you can get whatever, all training, you can get all equipment, but if you don't want it that badly, you are not going to get there. It's just, you know, what I'd like to, uh, take this the right way, okay? When you've got players coming from Australia, and going across to places like Manchester and, and Glasgow, and, and they're in a, a dress room of 44 kids that have really got a lot of desire, it must be intimidating because the kids across here are brought up very well. There doesn't seem any to have any lack of money involved. They've always got a car. and whereas, whereas over there, when they've got to do it tough, you know, that's a big part of it, a massive part of it. Because, you know, the kids over there at 16 years of age are men. The kids here at 16 years of age are still boys. Yep. That's my point. All right. Looking forward to talking uh, all about this to Tony Rallis, Australian-based player manager, who's got an idea to try and change everything that we've just been talking about. You're listening to The Real Football Show. The winner. In Joining us now is the founder of Fair Play Publishing and uh, the former communications or the senior management team for Football Federation Australia as well and part of the 2018 and 2022 failed FIFA World Cup bid where $46 million was spent for one measly vote. Bonita Merciatis, thanks for joining us. That's a pleasure, Val. Now, we've got to ask you firstly, obviously you've heard about 
Football Australia's Chief Executive James Johnson last week telling the Australian First that uh, he wants the governing body to bid for the either the 2030 and 2034 World Cup. You are the ideal expert on this because of what happened uh, more than a decade ago with Australia, one measly vote. How do you think this sits in the landscape of sport at the moment about what James Johnson said? Uh, look, I was a bit surprised that he came out and said it, um, considering, I mean, not, not just the recent, not just the history in terms of the 2018-2022 World Cup bid, but also we are hosting the 2023 World Cup. Brisbane is hosting the 2032 Olympics. Mm. And I think to sort of raise the issue of the 2030 and 2034 World Cup now is not just premature, but it sort of doesn't take uh, account of some really important issues around the World Cup going forward. Um, the key one of which is whether we, in fact, have the capacity to host a World Cup because from 2026 onwards, it will have 48 teams. And that's a considerable increase from 32 teams, which it was for 2018, 2022. And we had difficulty then with that capacity. Yeah. So that's my first reaction is, is one of surprise. And I guess the cynic in me would sort of think, well, why is he raising this issue now? Yeah. Um, and then the third issue too is around the practicalities of the politics of FIFA and the fact that with the Asian Confederation of which we're a part, hosting it in 2022, I wouldn't have thought that FIFA would be in a hurry to have it back in Asia and particularly in Australia mm. um, in 2030 or 2034. Oh, absolutely. And, and then from 2026, 48 nations are going to be part of the World Cup and USA, Canada and Mexico are hosting the next 2026 tournament with 16 host cities. I don't think we've got 16 cities big enough in Australia. That's another point, I suppose. Yeah, we definitely have to have a co-host. It would have to be New Zealand. And I think it would even be stretching Australia and New Zealand to co-host with 48 teams. Mm. Um, there's been talk of Indonesia, um, but I'm not sure how practical that is in terms of where they're up to in terms of financing um, and in terms of their football development. So I think it was sort of more of a... I suspect it was more of a pie-in-the-sky type of um, announcement whereby he just sort of floated it out there and saw what the reaction is. I, I wouldn't mm. have thought it was a really serious one at this stage. There is one other point, of course, in, and that is whether government anywhere, um, but whether our governments have a, an appetite to be funding not just the bid itself, but what is required to fulfil a bid in terms of the infrastructure requirements because they're quite onerous when it comes to major world events. And I'm not sure that in the current circumstances that, that any government would see that as the as best use of their funding. Yeah, and, and you'd be the expert on this. And we've got a, a massive problem. I'll give you Adelaide as an example. Hindmarsh Stadium, that obviously failed miserably back in 2010. Is that correct? <laughs> Yes, it did. And now it's yeah. getting, I think, $48, $49 million for an upgrade, but the capacity is still the same. So that's going to fail again, I suspect. So we're still back. We're still stuck as to where we were at more than a decade ago here in Adelaide. Yeah, that's, that's right. And there's still, there's still the issues of the AFL, for example, fighting about what stadiums can be used in Adelaide and in Perth, although they're getting upgrades there as well. But, yeah, um, for the, the um, preliminary games... 
the the capacity requirement, unless FIFA was to change this, the capacity requirement is for 40,000 capacity. So unless we have, we can find X number of stadiums with that capacity, then you've got to find some that take 65,000 for finals and then 80,000 for the major finals. It, It just limits where you can actually hold games and how many that you can possibly uh, have at any one time. Mm. Then there's all the other infrastructure. There's the transport, there's the accommodation, there's the training grounds. Um, for, as I said, 11, 12, 13 years ago, that was a challenge for Australia for 32 teams. And while this would be 20 years on, I think it would still be a challenge for 48 teams. Bonita, so um, it could be... Well, I was, you know, when you were talking, I was just thinking then it could be a great option for Australia to build those facilities and to build bigger stadiums because they're thinking to 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 host 2030 World Cup or 2034. Is that is that a, a an option that they could be thinking providing that right now we can't because we don't have the facilities? Well, I think then you'd have to ask the question and governments would ask the question, well, what are we going to use these facilities for down mm. the track? And while our population hopefully will grow and, and um, you know, it's expected to get to 35 million by 2050, um, I still wouldn't have thought we would need a whole lot of, you know, that to be built on the back of a whole lot of football stadiums because we're hosting a World Cup, which is a one-off. Um, these are the sorts of trade you know, there's sorts of things that governments have to think about when they're making funding decisions about supporting a mega event such as this. They are very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, the ho- the organisations, the sporting organisations that bring them to countries, they have all sorts of um, government guarantees that requires governments, for example, um, to ensure that FIFA is not ch- does not pay any tax. Um, so, you know, those sorts of things are expensive decisions for governments to make and particularly more so when we're facing the deficit that we're facing at a national level well into the future. You look at the uh, the bid there, Benita, um, $4.6 million to put, um, well, $4.6 million spend to put a bid in there. By that time, uh, all these years going forward, there's going to be, sorry? 46, 46 million. $46 million, yep. Um, you you look at that going forward, um, you know, seven, eight years or whatever it is, you know, it'll, it'll be double that. Um, you look at the politics as well, Benita. Um, I'd like you to um, talk about the politics, uh, in your opinion, that's, uh, that's impacted with such a prestigious uh, event like the World Cup. Well, it's, it has changed a little bit uh, in recent years. And I would have argued then, and I did, and I was still today that that $46 million simply wasn't required to, to mount any sort of bid. The problem back then um, was that it wasn't decided on merit. It was decided on all sorts of other reasons. If you're deciding anything on merit based on objective criteria, you don't need $46 million to put a bid together. <laughs> However, Good um, point. <laughs> what, what's changed now is that unlike previously that everybody who is a member of FIFA and as as anyone who follows football knows FIFA has more members than the United Nations um any, anyone who's a member of FIFA gets to vote for who's going to host the World Cup so a little bit of the politics is taken out but it's really just um at the surface not not fundamentally because fundamentally the culture within FIFA hasn't changed um and the point I touched on at the beginning that um 
2022, which is only next year, yeah. the World Cup will be held in Qatar, which is part of the Asian Football Confederation. And I wouldn't have thought that FIFA would be in a hurry to return to the Asian Football Confederation, which is what we're part of, yeah. um, within eight years. And if you look at 2022 and then 2026 in North America um, or USA, Canada and Mexico, uh, I would have thought probably Europe will be champing at the bit again by 2030 to yeah. host it. Yeah. Um, so I think there are all sorts of practical issues around that as well. And then there's one other issue about Asia, and it's it's the one I mentioned in the book I wrote um, about all of this, and that's the the, the big bogeyman up. Or don't don't mean this in any way disrespectfully, <laughs> but it's China. If if let's say it's held in Europe in 2030 and FIFA decides, yes, let's come back to Asia in 2034. Um, frankly, if China wants to bid or even India, if they're in a position to do so at that time, um, commercially, that would be far better for FIFA than bringing it to down to Australia. Oh, absolutely. And, and that book that you're talking about, whatever it takes, I mean, it was really brave to actually write it and, and blowing the whistle on corrupt FIFA officials and the, and the entire process. How's that impacted on your life because it, it was really a powerful book oh thank you val um uh, well the whole uh experience impacted my life significantly it just it changed it um but it's like anything you just sort of pick yourself up and get on with doing something else and uh, you know that that's what i'm doing now fantastic well bonita merciatis thanks for your insight and uh good luck with fair play publishing and we cancelled another event this year, haven't you, because of damn COVID? That's correct, the Football Writers' Festival, but hopefully it'll be on in March next year. And, um, yeah, we've now published 23 books and still going strong. Beautiful. Thanks for your time. Okay. Thanks, Val. Alice is here. Thank you. Is Orlando here? Yeah, we're here. The pick is in. Here's the pick. I want to see this player again. I played him 4 5. He's incredibly fast. His name is Domenico. But we call him Nick. DC United has acquired the number five overall pick. FC Dallas is on the clock. You've made your selection. All right. Yes. Who are you pick? Number 67, Nicky Hernandez. All right. Number 67, Nicky Hernandez. His pick is confirmed. I just want to say on behalf of FC Dallas, really. The audio you just listened to is the Combine in the United States, the MSL, uh, similar to what we see in Australia with one of our football codes, the AFL, who bring young players together pre-season every year. It's called the Combine, and we find the best talent in the country. Australian-based football agent Tony Rallis has the idea of introducing it here. He joins us now on The Real Football Show. Tony, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us. Tell us more about your idea. Well, it's a, it's a concept that, that has come out of um, constantly facing the challenges of players that can't get contracts, young state league players that can't get uh, trials or contracts because they're not being assessed properly, and youth players that never see the light of day of first grade. So every year, one of the biggest challenges agents face is how do we promote and place our players uh, and while you can take on individual cases, for example, two years ago, Cameron Devlin and Johnny Stenson, yeah. it was like extracting teeth to put them into the system. <laughs> and two years later, they're off to various European leagues 
and have generated transfer. Now, these guys were promoted by myself on an individual basis over a six-month period on the back of advice from fellow players telling us, look, they're good players. We don't know why they're not playing. So, but you how many of those Devlins and Stensonesses are the game losing every year yeah. through lack of opportunity? No, I wouldn't put a figure on it, Tony, but... So what, what, what can we do to actually get this happening? Because I've seen, I mean, I've, I'm a fan of MPL State League 1 and 2 over here, and I've seen a lot of talent here that I don't think the scouting is actually right in this country as well because I've seen so many players that are not even looked at. But wait, wait, wait. Can I cut in here for a second? Now, I'm just a person that stands on the sidelines every week, and I watch NPL. And to both you, Val, and Tony, doesn't the cream always rise to the top? I'm just playing devil's advocate. Surely if you're good enough, doesn't someone pick you up? Doesn't a coach locally grab you and say, I'm going to ring someone I know in Scotland. I'm going to ring someone I know, whether it's even in Melbourne or local leagues here. Surely the cream does rise to the top eventually. Success is that. Success of any sports person, whether it's football or anywhere, or in fact, any entertainer, 30% is valued on the ability. 70% 70% is discipline, desire, dedication, and opportunity. If you don't get an opportunity, doesn't matter how much you, you've got talent, the opportunity, and I'll give you a classic example from Adelaide, as Val says. Do, does anyone in the studio know how Craig Goodwin and um, Matthew Leckie were identified? Because it wasn't Adelaide United. No, you're right. It, it was Johnny Grimaud who took Matthew Leckie into his house for three months and promoted him via the state league's of um, VPL. It was Arthur Pappas, the current Newcastle coach, who I'll never forget the call, calls me and says, do you want to come to Adelaide with me? I found a kid in NPL 2 Adelaide. Yeah. I said, who's that? He goes, Craig Goodwin, he'll play for Australia. So it was, it, was, it was people that see the talent and then have to fight and persist to put him into a system because the opportunity is not there. If you've got only up until recently, the first eight years of the A-League, eight A-League clubs with no youth set up, so you can't watch the players in reserve grade, you can't, you've got five foreigners, so our front third players aren't being given opportunities, you have what I call the Andrew Naboo, Joel Chinesi situation where child prodigies have been frozen out of the game through lack of game time and opportunity, lack of minutes, and they have to reinvent themselves via a second division in Malaysia. All right. Well, Albie, Albie and Cotty, you're both yes. most qualified to talk about this. Albie, what would you say? Yeah, look, I think it's really good, Tony, that you're looking at to provide an opportunity for the players there. My question is, um, is it specifically to do with, is it global or is it uh, specific to the A-League or, uh, and, well, you mentioned the B-League off-air there as well. Um, is it specific to that? I, I, look, I'm only I'm a, I'm, a, I'm invested in a stakeholder of the Australian League. We 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 have a recent situation where our national team, the Oli Roos, qualified for the first time in 12 years at the Olympics, beat Argentina, and then we ran out of legs because we don't have the depth of players. Yeah, and and we were depending on the Azanis. Yeah. So let's look at our three number tens. Rene Piscopo, this is calf doesn't play. He only played 18 games the year before. Daniel Azani and Tilio combined seven appearances the year before. Is that and then, it? Seven. That's it. And then, you've got, and then you've got a situation where the Spanish put on a player that's got 200 La Liga games, 129 in Real Madrid, and the other guy, Gil's sold to Tottenham. My point is, <laughs> we don't have enough depth 
The yeah. old NSL used to develop players by what I call default. And how, why I say by default, because there was always a, a range between 14 and 16 teams in the NSL. That's five to six more teams, 150 senior positions and 150 reserve grade positions. We haven't had, that's 300 positions available. So what happens is cream, there's plenty of cream, but if you don't give it an opportunity and you don't put it in the oven, you can't cook it, can you? Mm. <laughs> ah, fair enough. Kotea, so, how do you see this? You've played all around the world. So, Tony, yeah, well, with the women's, um, and I see it a lot, they also lacked of uh, opportunities, especially because they have to go to the system of um, being selected first with FFSA, mm. in this case in Adelaide, and then for them to be exposure. But I think um, um, it's a little bit hard to say because... Uh, Tony, you mentioned before um, we need a little bit of more more deep, and I think the development is is really important first year. And then um, I was going to ask you: Is it about scouting process that we may lack of those opportunities? Scouting is a key key ingredient, and our clubs in Australia still haven't realised and haven't followed successful models. I'm not suggesting that we go and try and replicate the Spanish La Liga or the German Bundesliga or the English Premier League. We don't have the resources or the depth. We're a third-tier sport at best. What we need to do is do what the Israelis do, do what the Scandinavians do. If you have a look at Israel and Norway, for example, where I've moved players to, they have four full-time scouts. Yeah. And their argument to 365 days a year. And they process and they monitor and they scout players for 18 months. And if you see the transition from the leagues that they acquire, it's not Spanish or Brazilian players with long hair that came from the beach and because of their nationality, they get a contract, right? The backpackers, as I call them. They look at leagues all over the world. So if you look at the Israelis, for example, they have between 16 and 18 transfers internally and externally, ranging from 500,000 euros to 9 million euros. Wow. So Ayak Athens, for example, bought an African from Israel for two and a half million euros. It's going to be uh, Ange Postacoglu's Celtic signed a 19-year-old Israeli for four million euros. The most famous Israeli player went, I think, to Feyenoord for nine million. And then you have a look at they're transitioning them into Antelex and Genks. We as Australians look at the player's resume because we don't have a scouting system and say, oh, he's Brazilian, he's Spanish, he must be good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fair right point. There. All right, let's. Well, can we cut to the chase? Because we're sorry, we're running out of time here. Because it's an interesting chat, Tony. But how does it work? Where, where to from now? How do you see this all playing out? So, my, I'm in the process of putting a proposal together to the PFA because they they run it. They really care about their members, and I'm saying, look, if I'm getting ten or twelve requests a year, can, can you a week? Sorry, can you give me a trial? Can you do this? Can you do that? How about we help these kids? And we, we, let's put together in each state. A soccer te- a team that will be made up of uh, discarded A-League players, State League players, youth players, selected by an unemployed coach because there's plenty of them looking for work. Yep. They do a, a one-month pre-season and then they play off in the pre-season against their respective A-League clubs within their respective states. So we give an opportunity for players over a two-month period to demonstrate their capabilities and because it'll be done in specific games, you can create data from the um, video in the session. And then coaches or agents like I can say, look, this is how he played. Here's the, the snapshot of this particular player X. 
or player Y. And then we can go to uh, Steve Corrick and say, mate, you haven't got a uh, right winger? Well, here's, here's an example. Hmm. You go to Central Coast, you haven't got a right back? Well, here's six examples. And we replicate that in every state. Tony, it's a great plan. <laughs> Tell you what, I reckon, We're all nodding amazing. here. Everyone's I, in I agreement, reckon so. it's got legs, Tony. I really <laughs> yeah. do. Tony, yeah. good luck with it. Uh, it's going to take a lot of planning. It's going to take finance, but... You're the man to do it, and uh, it well, sounds as though... Is, finance is an excuse. If the players are for free, the coaches are for free, yep. let's tie up with the universities Fair enough. who have tremendous infrastructures and have interns that will provide the back of staff support. So finances is not reality. All right. Tony Rallis, our special guest here on The Real Football Show. Here comes Canos. in the middle oh, it's turned over the line by Norgard it was a real battle for the side of those fine margins last year but here's Bruno Fernandes Manchester United's first goal of the new campaign from a very familiar source Okay, Val, what are the hot topics in world football well, this there's week? A, there's a lot of whispers, uh, and this is centred around COVID, and we can't blame anybody for this mm-hmm. pandemic, but I heard just a couple of days ago that the A-League could be heading for a delay if New South Wales and Victoria's borders remain closed yeah. due to COVID. Well, uh, would it make sense to try and take a leaf out of the AFL's book, which as you know, real football supporters, we don't want to do, but they've managed to get their league played over the last two years. I, yeah, and it? I just hope with W League, you know, with the women's football, we, we get the support. We really need to, um, some solutions too, because, you know, we're starting at the moment on the 13th of November, uh, seeing, you know, uh, Newcastle yep. and, and Sydney, they are not in a really good condition, so we hope to hear soon. Well, as I said, uh, AFL's been able to play. Uh, let's hope that the other leagues can uh, get the same dispensation from governments and uh, can be as organised as well. Yeah, and, and like the FA Cup, it's big this year because yep. the winner of the tournament gets to play in the Champions League yes. or, or gets a playoff spot. Mm. And if mm. that's cut, Asia are going to go, what's going on? Because they mm. don't really care about pandemics and stuff like that. This is yep. political, like you said. And then, and then also players are returning to South Australia from the COVID hit areas. This is unbelievable. And because of the window being shut, this is where you think the pandemic, it's a pandemic. A you lot of these be boys or men, they're coming back, they earn not bad income from the NPL, New South Wales and, and uh, Victoria, that door's shut now. So, that, so they're here twiddling their thumbs while the season's still going on, and I can't understand it. We must mention our man, Ange Posacoglu. He's, um, he's over that, uh, it seems that he's over that uh, disappointing start, if you like, but yep. he's got five games under his belt on the trot. Mm. Uh, that's the one in Europe last night. Yep. Alkmaar and uh, 2-0. Uh, on the games on the EPL at the weekend, a, a very surprising result at uh, Tottenham Hotspur, beating Man City 1-0. Now, the Harry Kane situation must be talked in about that. That's still very, very a 50-50 situation. Can he go back to training? He's back at training now. Uh, he was maybe going to play at the weekend against Man City, the club that he was reportedly, um, uh, or supposedly going to. 
But uh, I'll be interested to see if he plays this week. What about, surely the biggest result was Brentford. Brentford yeah. now, are they going to be? Are they going to be like everyone's, you know, sweetheart team? Is, nah. is Brentford going to be the? Surely, not mine. You can see the whole world falling in love with Brentford, can't you? No. Well, Brentford uh, won in two 0 as, as you rightly mentioned. Uh, that's in Arsenal's playing Chelsea at the weekend. So if they lose two on the bounce there, which they probably, you know, I would tip Chelsea to beat them uh, with Lukaku there and and whatnot. So tell you what, Arsenal's not off to a good start. No, nah, not at all. How about the matches this week, Abby? So we've got a cracker, Liverpool-Burnley. And how about the cup final on Sunday? Yeah, Liverpool-Burnley, Arsenal <laughs> Villa-Newcastle, Crystal Palace-Brentford, Leeds United-Everton, Man City-Norwich, Brighton-Watford, uh, Southampton-Man United, and again, Man United off to a flying start against Leeds United 5-1 at home. Uh, and the last game being uh, West Ham versus Leicester. And David Moyes, a, a good friend that we've had on the, the radio a few times, um, winning 4-2 last week. So uh, that'll, that'll be a magic game. And Leicester winning 1-0, as we all know. Vardy scoring a superb goal. Val, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, a very good result for, uh, for Leicester. A good start. All right. Well, I don't care what all of you say. I'll be watching Brentford this weekend. I'm on the good Brentford on bandwagon. What about West Bromwich uh, Albion? Well, yeah, I'm watching off. them too. But in, in the Premier League, in the Premier <laughs> the League, guy. I'll be watching Brentford. You can't have two clubs in England. Mate, I've got three because I lived yeah, in Brighton for years. I, I'm a Brighton man <laughs> so you as well. Three no, West Brom's in my heart, but I like to see Brighton win. And now you're the be- only person I know supports three clubs. No, I know other people as well. I know guys that got a club in each country. Listen, it's so we all of you, you know, typical bandwagon people that yeah, you know, <laughs> you bandwagon Man United. Well, Albie, Man United, easy to barrack for Man United. It's you easy man, to you. it's yeah. easy to barrack for Liverpool. I'm a, you know, roll your sleeves up, man. Hard work. Barrett from West Bromwich. Who's, who's your club, Cotter? And um, I w- it was Arsenal when, you know. What do you mean it was? Who do you Barrett no, from? Who, who do you, who oh, do you I, look, Barcelona because Messi. I just love him. But well, he's gone now. <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> no. He's so you're going to support Let me ask you a question. Who's your favourite well, player at, sure, at West sure. Bromwich Albion? And don't say Brian Robson because he's finished. I agree. So Richards. An absolute gut. What? Laurie Cunningham, Sewell Regis. Now, hang on. Uh, did you hear, by the way, by, uh, Paris Saint-Germain this week alone sold one million shirts? Yep. And one million. Messi. Yep, yep yeah, he and did. Got... And that's the surprising because Spain, the league, didn't want to put more money. And they what, They don't realise how much money he makes. Mm. Yeah, but Come they're on. in deficit by a couple of billion bucks. Yeah. So couple. I read Australian. Yeah. Now, Corte. She's, I think she's a goal of the week winner. Oh, really? Oh. Another well, we hamburger. Don't know. We Another, don't know. How many hamburgers they... have you won now? <laughs> Two this year. Two but hamburgers. I'm not sure. They, uh, they are good goals. So, look, I don't, I don't mind. Oh, but right. I got okay. Okay. Where can we the see pitch. them online? Yes, on you, on Twitter as well. Okay. You can see. I you will show you. Uh, but this Sunday, you guys have to come um, to watch us because we play the final cup against Metro at 3.30. Where? Bala Football Centre. Angle Park. Angle Park, yes. 3.30. Yes, 3.30 right. p.m. I'll be there Abby. with a couple of bottle of wines for you. Okay. Yep. You've been Let's listening. I'll pick you up, Albie. Yeah. Mm. No, yeah, I'll come. I'll, I'll come. Yeah, I'll can we do that. something on live or something? Are you in I'm in. Okay, we're in. The crowd's gone up by three. You've been listening to The Real Football Show. <laughs> okay.